Welcome back to the Talking Points Summer Season Special. We hope you enjoy revisiting all of the gorgeous conversations with our Season 1 guests. Welcome to Talking Points, a ballet and dance podcast where we speak with some of the most extraordinary and famous dancers, artistic directors and choreographers. I'm your host, Claudia Lawson. Today I'm speaking with Daniel Riley. He's the newly appointed Artistic Director of Australian Dance Theatre. Daniel is a proud Wiradjuri man of Western New South Wales. He grew up around Canberra, inspired by the tap dogs, learning contemporary dance, ballet and tap. But it was a chance encounter with ADT's founder, Elizabeth Cameron Dalman, which changed the direction of Daniel's life to one of pursuing dance as a career. He ultimately headed north to study dance at Queensland's University of Technology and following graduation and various adventures building his craft around the globe, Daniel joined Bangara Dance Theatre, where he spent the next 12 years performing, choreographing and honing his creative skills. In this incredibly open interview, Daniel talks about his childhood in dance, about being bullied, the impact of First Nations dances and how he's gearing up to take the helm of the Australian Dance Theatre in 2022. Look, first I just want to say thank you so much for joining us here today. I wanted to go back right to the beginning. Can you tell us about where you grew up and about your family? Yeah. So um, I'm a Wiradjuri man from Western New South Wales. This is my cultural background and heritage. Um, and I can trace my family lineage out, out towards Wellington and Dubbo and Orange in the Western New South Wales um, of Wiradjuri country. My dad was a teacher and so we moved a lot but being in Canberra, it's, it, that's my hometown because that was my formative years. You know, I did year seven to year 12 in Canberra. I gained my lifelong friends in Canberra. I actually found dance in Canberra. Um, uh, I was going to ask, where did dance come into that childhood? Yeah, I, I, I actually was tap dancing when I was about nine or ten um, when I was living in Sydney at the time. Yeah. Like that um, whole tap, the tap dogs. dogs yeah. Totally. <laughs> Tap dogs were my heroes, the Bluntstones, the whole thing. And obviously all Newcastle-based as well, you know, that kind of coming out of the steelworks there. Um, so I was really, you know, just enthralled by these men who were tap dancing. Uh, and I just I, I just fell in love with that. Um, and I must have been something, I was very physical as a young boy. I played, you know, football or soccer in the winter and cricket in the summer I was on all the sport teams. I ran long distance. I represented ACT long distance. And so I think at some point along the line, it just must have, it, it, it seemed like maybe another physical kind of challenge, this idea of tap dancing or dancing. Um, I do kind of have vague memories of my mum picking me up from soccer practice and swinging via the dance studio where my younger sister was dancing. And I have vague, like super vague kind of pencil sketch memories of or like half-developed Polaroid in my head of like me sitting and watching this kind of room full of girls dancing. And then the next image or Polaroid I have in my head is me, the only boy amongst that group of girls. Which was often the case, which was often the case in those, you know, dance halls in regional New South Wales and the ACT, all over Australia, really. All over Australia, you know, and this was in, um, I, was, I was living in Avalon and the Northern Beaches at the time in Sydney. 
Um, and my first tap teacher, um, I remember very well, her name was Jess Morrison. Um, and she's actually the mother of James Morrison, the famous trumpeter. Oh, so James Morrison's mum was a tap teacher? Yes. Wow. Maybe that's, that's where he right. got his yeah. love for... Uh... His rhythm and his musicality and exactly, exactly. And so then from there, I we moved to Canberra. This is actually where ADT first made its kind of appearance into my world. And Dad crossed paths with this woman called Elizabeth Cameron Darman. Oh, who um, founded ADT, didn't she? Exactly, exactly right. Elizabeth founded ADT and she must have got talking to my dad and dad said, oh, well, my oldest son's a dancer. And she said, okay, there's this new youth company that's just started in Canberra called Quantum Leap. Um, it's now called QL2, but it's, it's, um, it's the same organisation there at Gorman House run by Ruth Osborne, who's the artistic director there. And I went along to my first contemporary dance class and I was just completely infatuated with it. This a room full of like-minded boys and girls using our bodies, uh, throwing our bodies through space, using our bodies in different ways, like using into and out of the floor, the physicality of it, the ideas that, are, that, that swirl around a dance studio. As, as a young boy, I was, I was 12. I must have been 12 or 13. And it was 1999, I remember that much. And the first project was Rough Cuts, which was an all-male, all-boys kind of youth dance company dance work. And I joined uh, that and then I did every project through all the way up through until the end of year 12. And it wasn't until year 11 that I actually really realised that dance could be a career. It was Ruth Osborne, as I said, the artistic director, was like, well, you can go to university. I was like, what do you mean? Like, I can do this for real. I can get paid to do this so I can study dance. I find it really fascinating that you said, you know, you saw Tap Dogs, which is all, you know, an all-male group, which was really, except for maybe those, you know, that era out of the States with, you know, Frank Sinatra, there were very few all-male dance groups at that time. And then you also said under Elizabeth, another all-male group. I was just wondering, did you suffer bullying as an Aussie kid growing up? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I was, you know, I um, mo- most vividly, I suppose, through high school, I went to Tilopia Park High in Canberra, um, which is in Griffith. Yeah, absolutely. I was the smallest of all the boys at high school. I didn't really hit into puberty and crest puberty until much later than all the other boys. They were developed physically more. I through my dancing, you know, dancing both at school and externally, I had developed stronger relationships with the girls at high school. So, you know, that may have been threatening to the boys, but more than anything, I remember just being smaller in physicality, um, which obviously is easy pickings for teenage boys. So I absolutely did suffer bullying uh, through high school. But I think what got me through that was this external community of my dance community that I had found and we supported each other, even though we're all at different schools across Canberra, you know, that gave me the drive to get through the days in a way and then be able to dance in the afternoons or on the weekends. Do you think also having seen, you know, the Tap Dogs and other male dancers made you have that vision? Because I've spoken with other people who have said, you know, I was the only guy in the room. I only really knew that you could be a ballerina And so they're not even sure how they knew to keep 
I suppose, chasing that dream, but they just knew that they loved dance. And so that's what kept them there. Yeah. I think also one of the beautiful things about, especially my time with Quantum and and being in that youth company was we would see every theatre, every dance company that would come through the Canberra Theatre Centre. So, you know, whether it was, you know, I saw Bangara in when I was in year 10 and instantly I saw myself reflected on stage. I saw a place where I could explore my cultural identity through my chosen form uh, of dance. So important, so important. So important. And ADT, I remember seeing the original Bird Brain with that original A-team cast and it just blew my mind. And me and my, you know, my, my teenage friend looking at that, seeing the men on stage throwing themselves around a space, going, thinking, that's incredible. Why can't we do that? That's, you know, to see that as um, a possibility. Possibilities, I think, is the biggest thing, you know. Yeah. Um, that was absolutely a drive for me. But, uh, you know, I think it's interesting that that difference between boys seeing male ballet dancers and thinking that's dance, whereas I saw tap dogs, something so grimy and gritty and hugely technical, um, musical, and just in a way the kind of so different to ballet, you know, and I, I hadn't seen ballet. I, I didn't do my first, I suppose, plie or fondue until like year 11 when I knew I needed ballet to get into university. Which is so incredible because most dancers, even if they end up being contemporary dancers, generally have early training in ballet. Generally, yeah, but I didn't, you know, I, it was year 11 when I, when I realised, okay, in 20 months' time, it was like <laughs> halfway through year 12 when the audition rounds would come and all the universities would come through Canberra and we all knew that the audition consisted of a contemporary class, a ballet class and a solo. So, you know, I, I'm, I made the decision to invest in that and undertook uh, weekly ballet classes. So when they, if they said, something in in kind of ballet terminology I could go okay I may not be good at it but I know what you're talking about and so you get into university and you start to have these sort of I suppose semi-professional you move to Adelaide and do nine months yes in my second year yeah and at the time Cheryl Stock was the head of dance and she came to me and she said "Uh, Dan the Australia Council has this new grant opening up in a couple of months, it's called Making Tracks. It's for young, emerging Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander dancers to be on a professional secondment with a selected company. And the company that's put their hand up is Lee Warren and Dancers. So Cheryl helped me put in, it was my very first Australia Council application, um, and I was successful. I got this grant, which enabled me to live in Adelaide. And there was never any pressure for me to have to perform. But it just so happened that I performed in two works. One was at the Space Theatre at the Adelaide Festival Centre, and that was a work by Anthony Rizzi, who was a dancer. He danced with Forsyth um, mm. many William years Forsyth, ago. and the choreographer. That's right. And then the second work I performed in was called Petroglyphs, Signs of Life, which, again, the world works in mysterious ways, was co-choreographed by Lee Warren and Gina Rings, but also I performed alongside Francis Rings, who I then have developed a relationship with through Bangara and who's now Associate Artistic Director at Bangara. So it's just very, um, the wires are crossing all over the place, um, yeah, which is really remarkable. Yeah, growing. And so yeah. you're obviously very well known for your career at Bangara. 
Can you tell us about what it's like to be in Bangara? Well, that's very nice of you to say. Um, I, you know, my, my time at Bangara was formative in my cultural identity. An institution like Bangara offers a young Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander dancers the possibility to connect with and explore our cultural identity on stage. And that may not necessarily always be through your mob or your nation, but it is this sense of being immersed in culture throughout your employment and whether that be regional, remote, national, international touring. You know, it was full-time work. I was where I wanted to be. I, I was there. I, I'd made it, and I was I was so so happy to be there. Um, and was it amazing again, to work with Stephen Page? It, it was really wonderful to to be at Bangara for sure. Like it can get it, it can get very intense, you know, for that kind of an ensemble being with each other, kind of day in day out, planes, trains, taxis, Ubers. So it's uh, like family you know, Christmas, does it? It's like family Christmas, but for eleven months of the year. <laughs> You know, like it really is. Um, I made some incredibly important relationships through my time there that I still hold very dear. You know, Wanniga Blanco, Jasmine Shepherd, Kane Sultan Babbage, Luke Curry Richardson, like all of these who I uh, genuinely, um, you know, my brothers and sisters now, we're supportive of each other's careers. And, you know, Wanniga, Jasmine and I, we all have families now and children they're all the same age you know so we've just got each other's backs a lot and that feels really nice to have taken that out of out of that time and so did you always have dreams to become a choreographer um at like because you created so many works while at Bangara and I just wondered if yeah. that's something that someone saw in you or is that something that you had dreamt about yeah I I had always kind of liked the idea of of it, you know, early on in any dancer's career, it's like you either like creating or you don't. I just liked making dance. I liked st- making steps, stringing them together, stage formations, like th- the simplistic kind of ideas of what that is. I I enjoyed that. And then kind of the more I've been making and the more opportunities I've been so very fortunate to receive what I'm most liking now is this idea of curating artists in a room, the right artists for each in particular story to tell story, to explore an idea fully. And it was, and it was through all the commissions at Bangara uh, that, I, that I had been able to see into the world of making work of scale, lighting designers, costume designer, sound designer, an ensemble of dancers with the support of a rehearsal director, Bangara at its largest, I think, was the largest cast. I think when I was making, I think Dark Emu, there was about 16 of us, you know, and that's a lot of people looking at you, waiting for inspiration or waiting for, you know, for you to tell them something. And so I suppose over that time at Bangara, you sort of, I I suppose you didn't emerge as a choreographer, but I suppose you got to hone that skill so that you left Bangara as both a dancer and a choreographer. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, I would say so for sure. Like I definitely got to hone the skill of of working a room, you know, being able to hold a room during a creative process, being able to negotiate with other creatives, being able to negotiate with dancers in a space, being able to trust 
dancers in a space as well and being able to trust my own instinct and my own gut reaction. Yeah, I've been very fortunate in the works that have come my way. I'm currently making uh, a work on the Queensland Ballet, which um, is premiering for their bespoke season later in the year. Fingers crossed, um, hopefully I can be back up there for late September, early October. Oh, to see that work, of course. And so was there a catalyst for you to leave Bangara? Yeah, there was. It, it just became very evident that Bangara wasn't the place for me anymore. You know, I had a family. My son was born early 2017. And so at the end of 2018, it, it just didn't feel right anymore. Yeah, times um, had changed. Times had changed. I knew what I wanted to be doing and I knew how I could contribute and it was just made very aware to me that I wasn't able to contribute that way at Bangara anymore. So, yeah, I made the decision to leave. Mm, And where did you head? To Melbourne, down here, and I took up a job at Ilbidri Theatre Company as an associate producer. I think it's one of the only Indigenous theatre companies. Um, There are three. So there's Ilbidri Theatre Company, which is 30 years old. There's also Yuri Yarkin in Perth, which is a, um, a First Nations theatre company. Uh, there's also Mugulan in Sydney, which is a kind of a performing arts company, and they, they're exploring uh, theatre, music and dance. There are all, they're emerging at the moment. You know, Black Dance is there in Brisbane. They're not a company, but they're more of a kind of, um, uh, they produce a lot of First Nations dance. Supporting and, like, getting uh, so- them trained, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And our next generation of producers as well. So, you know, our First Nations performing arts sector, our small to medium First Nations performing arts sector is um, under-resourced, but it is thriving and it is definitely growing year on year for sure. And so you've just taken or been offered the uh, artistic directorship of Australian Dance Theatre. So congratulations. I mean, it's a huge job. Thank you. It is huge. (laughs) Absolutely. That's not lost on me. Um, Over the last kind of five, six years, I've felt this pull and that, you know, I I could lead a a dance company or make my own dance company. In many ways, you know, I just felt that I, I have the skills and that I would be, I would be good at that. And, you know, I love being in a room with an ensemble of dancers. Uh, I've worked in enough companies to have realized what works, what doesn't, and how I would do things. And so when I was, actually numerous people sent it to me that Gary was leaving and that they were going to be starting an application process. Oh, I, I thought Because I, I often thought, wonder oh, how that works. I, yeah, like I just, they kind of did a national call, like a, um, a press release that Gary was leaving. Uh, and then there was a kind of a throwaway line at the bottom, I think I remember saying that, you know, a national... A, um, a recruitment process will start shortly. And I was like, oh, okay, I wonder what that is. And it gave me a little bit of time to think on it and to be like, oh, could I do that job? And I was like, well, for, you know, for so long, I thought I would, I would launch and, and, um, and build another First Nations dance company and base it here in Melbourne because it feels like there could be one and there should be another one. Like Bangara shouldn't be the only First Nations dance company in this country. There should be more. Uh, and I felt well positioned to build one here in Melbourne. But then this ADT thing came up and I was like, well, actually, this is kind of bigger because this is a this could be an opportunity for me to utilize my First Nations practices and ideologies in a company that has sat here on what is now called Australia for 56 years 
and really ground it in in our country here and now and bring a diversity of of faces and of of na- of nationality and of cultural heritage to the stories and to the work and so i kind of pitched that in a way um, as my vision for the company and i had always said all along that i would you know i said let's i'll put my hat in and we'll see how far down the rabbit hole i get and it just so happens i got all the way to the end and i feel very very grateful and so very fortunate to be adding my name next to and you know below that list of australian greats i read that nick hayes who i think is the executive director of adt he said that he was just blown away in your interview by your ideas and your vision can you tell us where you where you hope to take the company um yeah, yeah. Oh, God, I can't even remember what I said in those interviews. Um, <laughs> uh, Nick and I have been getting along so well. Um, I'm so looking forward to working with him and also Sarah Jane Howard, um, who is an Associate Artistic Director. I think she's brilliant and I've idolised her for many, many years. Um, I, I, I want to really ground and, and make Australian dance theatre Australian dance theatre. I want to spend time touring and investing and engaging with our Australian artistic landscape. I want to ground it in Adelaide, on Ghana country. I want to open a relationship with the Ghana traditional owners and community and elders. I just want to bring the idea of storytelling to everybody. And this kind of comes off the back of my my kind of thinking around proscenium theatres, you know, proscenium theatres, as a First Nations person and in my cultural beliefs and, and you know, listening to elders and whatnot and, and just knowing, you know, we've been storytelling for over 75,000 years. We were storytelling before proscenium theatres. Proscenium theatres came with the boats. It's Yes, it's a beautiful thing. And to see a, a high-quality piece of dance theatre in a proscenium theatre, nothing replaces that. You know, I'm ADT will absolutely be producing high-quality theatre, dance theatre in proscenium theatres. But I also want to find ways to take theatre out of that context and tell stories, strip it back as well. You know, this idea of we don't need the, the, the flashlights and, you know, the glitter cannons and all the bells and whistles all the time. So I'm really looking forward to all of that, engaging in the set with the South Australian community, um, with the regions as well um, uh, and developing and, and just kind of working really holistically and honestly for our nation and for our artistic landscape here in Australia. Uh, just recently finished um, Maggie Tonkin's book, 50, which she had written when ADT turned 50 six years ago. And I read it and I just I had to put the book down. I was like, oh, this is so bizarre and so incredible that, you know, she was already 56 years ago, doing and exploring our landscape, our Australian landscape, how iconic it is, exploring Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander ideas. She was using projection. She was using, you know, she was ahead of her time in a lot of her work. And so I'm really looking forward to carrying on that legacy. It's quite incredible that Elizabeth got you into dance and now you are... It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, you're going to, you know... I know. Continue I remember her calling her every now and then over the last couple of years we had a touch base. Um, I remember calling her because Nick had called and said, look, I just spoke to Elizabeth. She knows to expect a call from the next artistic director. And I haven't told her who it is, but I thought you should do that. And I called and I said, hello. And I said, hi, Elizabeth. She said, hello, who's this? I said, oh, it's Daniel Riley. And she said, and she paused and she said, 
I could hear her smile in a way, which is a really strange thing to say, but I could hear her smile. And she said, and why is it you're calling? And I told her and she was just blown away. She was, she's just, Dan, you have made my day, month, week and year. Like I'm, she was so thrilled and she was proud and she was excited. So I'm really looking forward to hope when all of this kind of COVID is done, I, I want to when I go back to Canberra next to see family, I want to go out because she lives just outside Canberra at her dance company called Miramu, which is out on Lake George. Um, so I would definitely want to sit down with Elizabeth and um, oh, how incredible. and kind of pick her brain too of all of the early works that she made. And so a lot in the media has been made of your, you know, you are the first First Nations man to run a non-Indigenous company. And we've touched on it a bit, but in a way it's also a shame that this is the first. Like it's kind of shocking yes. that you are the first yep. and we're in 2021. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, look, there's a lot about our industry that is shocking, but that is not shocking at the same time, you know. Um, but also not arts company either. I think I'm the first First Nations to lead a dance company. Um, Wesley Enoch ran QTC for many years. Uh, and so, um, yeah, I just kind of like to make sure that um, I give him that prop because, you know, Wes is an elder of mine and a huge amount of love and respect for him. Um, but in terms of the dance world that, yeah, I think that's the case. Like I've said in a couple of interviews, I think what I'm looking forward to is the day that this happens again, that it's not shocking and then it's not a first and that it's not the reason we're celebrating. It's that, wow, that's, a, that's great. Oh, and they happen to be, you know, First Nations Australian. You know, that, that's what I'm looking forward to um, and I'm hoping that this is the beginning of that. Yeah, that it's not a headline, that that's just actually part of the norm. No, mm. that it's just part of the norm, exactly right, because it, it is, you know, by having a First Nations person leading that company, you know, that that is our country, that is and it should be the diversity of our, especially of our artistic nation and our artistic voices too. Like it, it can only be a good thing to shine light on that. And just to end, I just want to ask what you would say to First Nations dancers and maybe maybe even boys in particular who, you know, they're still bullying in, I suppose, the, you know, the training and the dance classes around this country. What would you say to them? Um we gain nothing from being what other people want us to be, but we have everything to gain uh, if we are true to ourselves and true to our own vision and, and our own um, goals. Don't let people tell you what you can't do. I've had that too many times in my career and it's better to walk away from those situations and just know that you'll get to where you want to be and surround yourself with the right people. And so, you know, for me, this getting this role is... Yes, it is my dream, but it's so much bigger than just me. It's actually, you know, this is a role for for that next generation to carve pathways uh, that if I can carve and swim upstream and get to where I wanted to be, then I really believe anyone can, you know, and especially for young young Blackfellas and young First Nations artists. Like I lead, I'm also a staff member at VCA, so I'm the first First Nations appointment to the dance staff at the VCA here in Melbourne where How I lecture in contemporary possible? dance. You're the first First Nations dance teacher at VCA. Yeah, to their staff. to their Well, not, not just teacher but appointed to staff. So I, I lead a program there called Kumaji, which is a First Nations mentoring program. And um, we have uh, three First Nations students 
at the VCA at the moment. And with this program, we're hoping to build on that number. And this program is all about supporting students at the VCA culturally. So they don't have to feel like they leave their culture at the door when they're going into ballet or into contemporary. Actually, it makes you a richer dancer by being strong in your cultural identity. So that's a program I'm really excited about. And why I mention that is because the reason I've kind of been talking to the students who I have, the three of them, uh, Ren Hammett, Zoe Brown and Amelia O'Leary, three incredible movers, strong and proud of their culture. You know, and I said to them when I told them that I got this job, first they were shocked. Really? Um, and I just, yeah. In like you know, a, absolutely. you're not ready for that or are like blown away because you're the first First Nations no, man. No, <laughs> blown away that I was now an artistic director and because of my cultural background, you know, that they were just really like, wow. And I was like, and I just wanted you to know that this is the reason why we need to be taking up space that you can do whatever it is you want. Well, you can see like, it. Yes. You can see it. You can do it, right? Yeah, in many ways for sure. You know, like so for me, I just hope that me getting into this role inspires a lot of other First Nations artists and young dancers, especially boys and girls, that they can just aim, aim for it and, and just push for it, you know, believe in that. And, and also it, it takes a community for everything that we do, you know. Like I said before, surround yourself with the right people, who believe in you and your vision and your ideas um, and it's possible. Thank you so much, Daniel Riley. That's, it's just been incredible to talk to you today. Uh, thank you so much. It was a joy. Since we spoke, Daniel continues to build and develop his plans for ADT, along with moving his family to Adelaide. For ADT updates and tickets, you can find them on Instagram at Theatres or head to adt.org.au. And to continue to follow Daniel's life and adventures, you'll find him on Instagram at DanielJRiley86. Daniel and I recorded remotely, with Daniel dialing in from Melbourne, the land of the Kulin Nations, to which we pay our greatest respects. On the next episode, you'll hear from Alice Top. Had I not broken my foot in New Zealand, I wouldn't have come back and worked for the Australian Ballet, and I wouldn't have found choreography. Your host and producer is me, Claudia Lawson, additional production by Penelope Ford, with editing and sound production by Martin Peralta. And for the latest in all things dance, head to fjordreview.com.